0: why why go to church? Why come here? Why are you here this morning? And uh, it's a question that for, for many Christians is answered just like this. Well, God said so, and so I'm here. I mean, he does. Hebrews 10:25. So it's not a ban- bad answer. He says, let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. And that's Christian talking to Christians about coming together. And so For some people, some Christians, it's simply a matter of, God told me to do it, and the old adage, God said it, uh, that settles it, and I believe it, is just kind of, kind of the case when it comes to going to church. But here's another question. I mean, is there more to this command than God simply just wanting you to do something? I mean, is there, is there a reason behind it? And let me just tell you something about myself. I believe that all of the commands that God makes to us, all of the commands that we read in the Bible are for our own good. But not everybody sees it this way. Some people just see God up there is making commands just because, uh, at best, or, or, or at worst, because he's some tyrant that's up there that wants to make you jump through a certain set of hoops, that that wants you to do all these things. And so people, while they may not vocalize this, they think things like, man, I can't believe that God is making me do this, you know? It doesn't seem like a big deal if I if I don't do it. Or, you know, other people would say, well, I can't believe about, about other things, you know? God God doesn't want me to do this. I mean, what could be the harm in this? When it comes to church, it sounds like this. Why is God making me get out of bed so early? You know, I mean, I say that every single Sunday morning just about when the day starts. But uh, but why is God making me get out of bed so early? I could use the extra sleep. Or for others, uh, and of us, I'll say us, you know, it's like, Why does God want me to go to church? The Cowboys play at 10 o'clock a.m. on Sunday mornings and I'm there, right? And people aren't going to vocalize this. They're not going to say this out loud. It's just something that's inside of us to say, really, God, is church that big of a deal? I mean, why are you making me do this? And so, I just want to spend some time this morning talking about why we go to church, and I think what we'll find surprises us. But before we jump into that, a couple weeks ago we celebrated Pentecost, which is the birth of the Christian church. Not just this church, but but the church universally. And we discussed in detail something that hopefully by now you're starting to see is is pretty important to me and, and what I think about church, and that's this. God most fully shows His presence when believers are gathered in the context of a local church. God most fully shows His presence, He most fully manifests His presence when people are gathered in what we call the local church. And so, why this belief? Well, the belief comes because God in church, and even in Pentecost, the day of, duplicates what He did in the nation of Israel. When He made the nation of Israel a people that were centered around His presence being most fully in their midst when they gathered together. I want to strengthen this idea just a little bit today because it's it's an important idea for our church and for the church and, and so let me just strengthen a little bit uh this idea out of the book of 1 Corinthians and all of our series on church is coming out of the book of First Corinthians, and so uh, so let me just strengthen it from this one book. There's plenty of other passages in the New Testament that could strengthen it further, but from First Corinthians, uh, in First Corinthians three sixteen and seventeen, Paul talking to a church, he says, "Don't you know that you are yourselves are God's temple, and that God's Spirit dwells in your midst?" And you would say, "Well." He's talking about individuals. We are God's temple. And Paul does say that in another place later on in the book of 1 Corinthians, actually. But here, the you is plural. That's why the NIV has translated it you yourselves. And we could say it as you all if we wanted to sound like southerners. You all are God's temple. You all are the place where God manifests His presence. And so Paul here is saying you, together, corporately, when you're together, are the place where God shows Himself most clearly. I don't like to beat a dead horse. I don't even like to think about dead horses. Uh, But this is an important thing. And and I think you're starting to, to get the concept. You're starting to say, okay, I get it. You know, when we gather, that's when God manifests His presence most fully. I get it. But, but I, I need it to be more than that. I, I want it to be a foundational theological belief for our church. And really, I want it to change the way in which you approach coming to church every morning. Every Sunday morning. You can come every morning if you want. Uh, and, and so, let me, let me just take it one step further. First Corinthians 5, Paul is talking about the correction of a man living in sin living in sin, he's saying, hey, you need to help this guy get out of this sin so that he can live for Jesus. And in 1 Corinthians 5, 4, here's what he says. So when you were assembled, and I am with you in spirit, and notice this, and the power of our Lord Jesus is present. He uses a different word for assembled here, but the point is still the same, right? When you guys are together, and God's pr- presence is powerful in your midst, then I want you to correct this man in a certain way, as he goes on to say. And so Paul is making very clear that when a local church, which is what he's writing to in the, ber- ber- the book of 1 Corinthians, comes together, it's when God manifests His presence most clearly. And so right now, in this moment, I believe that God is here with us in a unique way that He will not be with us when we go somewhere else. Yes, God is everywhere, but He is here in a different, more powerful way when we gather together as a church. Now, you know that I believe this by now, and, and here's the other thing that, that you need to understand. I believe that the church is not seeing God's presence in as powerful way as we would like, because the church, churches in our country, have given up being obedient to the commands that God has made about church. And so we are spending time studying What God says to the church. The commands that God makes to churches as a body of believers. Now I think there's a command that we all need to get today that revolves around the actual gathering. God has made some commands to us about the way in which we come together, the way in which we gather together when He's going to manifest His presence. And I think that they're being ignored. Let me tell you why most people go to church in our country. They go for what they can receive as individuals, right? I mean, people go so that they can feel, you've heard this one before, fed, right? I mean, that's pretty common. That's, that's why people leave churches most often. I, I left because I didn't feel fed. And so people show up on Sunday mornings or Saturdays or whenever their church service is so that they can feel fed because of what they can receive. People go to church so they cannot feel guilty. Right? I mean like, oh, I think I should and so I'll go so that I can get rid of that feeling and i have to think about it all week. People go to church so they can meet other people and build relationships. People go so that they can get family off their back. Sure, I'll go if they'll just stop asking me. Right? I mean, that, that happens. In our communities, statistically, Tualatin, Sherwood and Wilsonville, most people go so that they can find recreational activities. We talked about those stats a couple of weeks ago. Most people go to church so that they can find recreational activities for their lives. People go so that they can have an experience with God. Now you might go, well, all of that seems okay. I mean, you just spent five minutes talking about how God's presence is most full and most clear when we gather together. And so I don't see any real reason that that some of those things are wrong, right? And that that kind of makes sense, but, but here's the thing. When we look at the Word of God what we find out is that approaching church for what we can gain is not right. In fact, the Bible tells us not to do it this way. And we'll see what I mean in, in 1 Corinthians 14:1 through 26 the passage that we're going to look at today. And, and I think what we're going to find... This is pretty contrary to the way that we approach church most often and the way that America approaches church as a whole. But before I read the passage, and I'm only going to read the first five verses today, I need to explain a couple of things to you. First of all, the word tongues. Because it's going to say the word tongues a bunch of times in these first five verses. So having some understanding of what that is is pretty important. When Paul uses this word, he is referring to a type of heavenly language. Other places in the New Testament, the same word is used for other languages that humans speak. And so a person will open their mouth and they'll start to speak Spanish or Russian or German or whatever it might be. But here Paul is talking about a language that is not of this earth that has been given from God. He calls it uh, utterances of the spirit. And he also refers to it maybe in first Corinthians uh, 13, the chapter before this as the tongues of angels. And so he's referring to a, a spirit-given language that flows out of somebody's mouth that they don't understand a- at all. And the second word here is prophecy. Prophecy is basically speaking God's perspective on something. Now most of the time when you think of prophecy, you think of somebody telling the future, right? That's, that's the first thing to come to mind. But when you go through the Bible, what you most often find is that that's not the case. It's simply a person saying this is is what God thinks about a current and relevant issue to the people in which He is speaking. A way that you could say it is this, sometimes in the Bible, prophecy is foretelling, but most oftentimes in the Bible, prophecy is forthtelling. Simply saying, this is God's perspective on the situation that you are in. Now there's one more thing you should know before I, I start reading to this passage. It's that Paul is talking to a church in 1 Corinthians 14. He's talking to a church group of believers that gather like we do, and He is talking to them about their gathering. The whole chapter is about what they do when they come together as a body of believers. It's nice to know that ahead of time. And so let me read these first five verses to you from 1 Corinthians 14. You can follow along. Follow the way of love and eagerly desire the gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to people but to God. Indeed, no one understands them. They utter mysteries by the Spirit, but the one who prophesies speaks to the people for their strengthening, encouraging, and comfort. Anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies themselves, but the one who prophesies edifies the church. I would like every one of you to speak in tongues, but I would rather have you prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets so that the church may be edified. I just want to point you to the, the very first key word in this entire section of Scripture, these first five verses, the word love. Now, that's the first key word in this whole thing, and it's uh, pretty important for us to understand context because if you were to flip back one chapter, 1 Corinthians 13, it's a famous passage of Scripture, and it's famous for being about love. It's quoted at almost every single wedding, right? First Corinthians 13. And, and it's one of the most well-known passages of Scripture in all the world because of what it says about love. And so when Paul opens his mouth and says love at the beginning of chapter 14, we can probably figure... That when he says love, he means the things that he's just said a few sentences before in 1 Corinthians 13. And so, let me just read a portion of that to you. It, it may sound familiar. You may expect people to, to end this by saying, I do. Uh, but, but try to pay attention to it because it's not, first, it's not about romantic love. In fact, it is about the love that people have for one another that call themselves a church. Isn't that crazy? I mean, we quote it for romantic love all the time, but it's about the love that people should have for each other that call themselves a church. Here's what he says, starting in verse 4. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. Now, when Paul opens up a conversation about the way in which you come to a church gathering by saying love. He has these things in mind, and there's probably a lot of things we could say about that, right? And there's probably a lot, uh, a lot of depth to that. And I would encourage you to think about that on your own. I mean, what does that mean in its, in its fullest for Paul to say, when you gather, do it in the way of love? Do it in the way of the things that I have just described in 1 Corinthians 13. But I want to point out to you just one phrase from from 1 Corinthians 13 that I think is applicable to the rest of what Paul says here and really applicable to the way in which we gather. He he says this, It is not self-seeking. When you come to church, it should not be self-seeking. If Paul tells us that love is not self-seeking, and then he tells us to approach a church service in the way of love, then Paul seems to be telling us, if you're following along, that we should not be self-seeking when we approach a church service. In fact, I think Paul is telling us that when we come to church, we should not be doing it for self. I don't think there's something more contrary to the culture in which we live and the prevailing culture within the church that I could possibly say. We've made what Paul just described okay. And we've made church all about what we get out of it when we come together. And here's the thing, as I was preparing this sermon this week and thinking about it, I have very low expectations for you applying this to your life. I have very low expectations that next week you will show up and say, and I'm going to come here out of an attitude that is not self-seeking. And the reason is, it's so contrary to our culture. It goes against everything that our culture stands for, because we are such individualistic people that we just think it's all about me all the time. But Paul says, when you come together, don't make it about you. I honestly believe that I could walk into a brothel and say to the prostitutes, their prostitution is wrong and I would have a a higher success rate of people applying that to their lives and walking out of that brothel than for me to say to a church, even ours that I love, hey, don't come to church with a self-seeking attitude and have people say, okay. But that does not change the truth of it. That does not change the straightforwardness of it. Paul is saying, when you gather with the people that you call your church, don't do it for you. Do not do it for you. So here's the question, then, okay, Paul, what, what is it that what, what is it that I gather for? And if it's not for me, and we're coming and we're and we're gathering, and God's presence is there, I mean, what does what, what is the point? What, what am I there for? And he goes into this and he talks about the two spiritual gifts, tongues and prophecy, the one that I have, the ones that I've explained. Now, I want you to know that Paul doesn't say either of these are better or worse. It's easy if you're on one side of things or the other side of things to say one's better or one's worse. Paul is very careful for all 26 verses to say these are both great gifts. But what he is saying is that one is better and one is worse within the context of a gathering. Namely, that prophecy is better when you gather than tongues is. And the reason that he gives for this is really the reason that we should gather together, the way in which we should gather together. So let me point out a couple things that Paul says about tongues in verse 2. First, he says that when somebody speaks in tongues, apart from an interpreter, apart from somebody saying, I know what God is saying through that heavenly language, apart from that, here's two things that he says. First, he says that they don't speak to people, they speak to God. So you're gathered with people and you're speaking in tongues. You're saying something to God and not to each other. Something that you could do apart from a gathering if you so desired and God so led you. Second of all, when someone speaks in tongues, it is unintelligible. That is, nobody else understands them. Nobody understands you when you speak in tongues minus an interpreter. In verse 4, he says another thing about tongues. He says, anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies themselves. Now, this word edify is pretty important to Paul. He uses it three times in this chapter, uh, and it's a construction word that means to build up. Elsewhere, Paul has said that that he has laid the foundation in this church, and and we'll talk about that in a minute. He's laid the foundation, but now he says that tongues do not help that foundation grow up into the building that God wants a church to be. Now, flip that and and see what he says about prophecy at the end of verse 5. In the second half he says, the one who prophesies edifies the church. Paul says when a person speaks in tongues, they build themselves up because nobody can understand them and they're talking to God. But when somebody prophesies, then they build the church up as a whole. Now here's the thing, Paul, Paul is saying this and it's a big deal to him because like I said, he's laid this foundation, right? He's, he has said to the people, I've laid the foundation. And, and here's what I, I want you to know about Paul laying the foundation. When Paul says that, what he means is that he is the one who came and told these people about the gospel, that Jesus Christ had died for their sins and had been resurrected and if people give their lives to him, then they can have salvation. And he also means by it that he is the one that got that church started. And if you know Paul, he would go into a town, he would preach the gospel that I just described, and then when people started to accept that gospel and give their lives to Jesus, then Paul would turn them into a church and help them become a church, and then he would go somewhere else and do that. And so when Paul says here, prophecy edifies the entire church, what he is saying about it is that prophecy is something that allows for the church to grow maturity wise and in numbers. Prophecy is something that helps the people of God who gather together become more like Christ, but it is also something that leads other people to salvation. If you were to read at the end of this section, verses 22 through 25, you can see Paul demonstrate just that, where he says, Look, when you speak in prophecy, it encourages other believers moves other believers forward in their relationship with God, and it also leads the people who don't know Christ to give their lives to Christ because they see the power in it. And so here's here's the deeper meaning of this passage. You can see it. Setting aside tongues and prophecy because that's just two gifts that Paul talks about. Here's the deeper meaning. Paul is saying this. When you come to church, don't come so that you can be built up. Come. Come so that you can build up the church as a whole. Don't show up to church in a self-seeking attitude. Instead, come to church in a church-seeking attitude that says, how can I build this church up when I gather with my brothers and sisters in Christ? That's what Paul is saying. Now here's the thing. This is the easy out, right? We're going to go, well, I don't have to get of prophecy, so how does this apply to me? I mean, I don't have that gift, and so I can come and I can self-seek and I can leave the service going, ah, I didn't really feel fed up today, uh, so it wasn't that good of a service, right? No, but look at what Paul says in verse 3. He says, But the one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouraging, and comfort. I believe that if each of us, every one of us in this room, worked at it and thought about it, then we could show up every single time we gather together and find ways to strengthen, encourage, and comfort the other people who gather with us. Don't you think? I mean, don't you think if you really just came to a church service and said, this is not about me. It's about what I can do to strengthen, encourage, and comfort those around me. Don't you think you could find a way? I thought of a couple of examples this week. This definitely isn't, uh, this isn't uh, all of the examples, but, but, but I did think of a couple. Um, here's one. You could sit next to somebody that's not being sat next to. Right? I mean, wouldn't that be encouraging for that person? If if they're sitting alone and all of a sudden you come and say, I I want to sit by you, and then you sit down there next to them. I think that would be pretty encouraging. And depending on how their day's going and what's going on in their lives, I, I think it would also be pretty comforting to them, too, right? To know that somebody cares about them. And and as we started singing songs and praising God and you were lifting your voice up to God and and, and if that person didn't feel like it, wouldn't you think that that would also encourage them and and, and cause them to be inspired and strengthened in their relationship with Christ? I do. And so I think if we were to say, well, I want to come and I want to strengthen and encourage and comfort the people that I gather with, I think sitting next to somebody that's not being sat by would be a pretty good way to go. But how about this one? This is pretty simple too. How about talking to people you don't normally talk to? It's always encouraging, right? When somebody comes up to you and you're like, man, they really wanted to have a conversation with me today. They were excited that I was gathered with them. Sometimes you go through church and and you think, does anybody even notice that I'm here? Does anybody even care that I showed up here today? And so if we would say, well, I'm not going to be self-seeking today. I'm going to go talk to somebody that I don't normally talk to. I think that that would be pretty encouraging to them. And here's the other thing, if you did it with the mindset of saying something that was both comforting and strengthening, you could probably work that out too, right? If you came and you said, well, I'm not just going to talk to them, I'm going to find a way to bring them comfort and bring them strength in their life so that they can move forward in their relationship with Jesus, I think you could probably accomplish that goal. This is not, this is not everything. I mean, it, honestly, if you went home and you thought for ten minutes this week, what's a way that I could come next week to our church gathering that is not self-seeking, but seeks to build up the whole church, you could find a lot of different ways to do that. Here's the thing about it. You say, well, you know, that's great, but I still want my experience with God. I mean, I I still want to experience God when we come together. If this is the place where God manifests His presence most fully, then I want that experience. But here's what I think, a couple things about that. First of all, I think that we will see God move if we start to have this attitude. In fact, I believe this. This is so contrary to the way in which churches do things these days and the way in which our American culture raises us up that if we begin to come to church thinking how can I comfort and how can I encourage and how can I strengthen, then then that will be God working. If next week you come here and you reach out to somebody and and you do something that strengthens, comforts, and, and encourages them, then I'm saying this to you. We will have seen God's movement in our presence in a new and awesome way. Because that does not happen without the power of God working in your life. We are not taught to do anything for the good of others. We are taught to do things for the good of self. And so if next week you come and you strengthen encourage, and comfort, then I will say this, you will have experienced God's work in your life. But I want to add this. I think that if we're obedient to this and we take it seriously, then we are going to see God move in even more powerful ways than we are already seeing God move. I believe that the church here, Creekside Bible Church, and the church in America will see God move in far greater ways if we will come to church thinking, what can I do to build up this church? You see, we think, well, if I go and I focus on me, then I'm going to get something great out of it. But Paul seems to demonstrate that if you go and you focus on other people, then you'll get something great out of it. Notice what happens at the end of this section, verses 24 and 25 spends 20 verses talking about tongues and prophecy and basically explaining the idea that I've already explained. Tongues does not build up the church, so be more focused on prophecy. And then he says this, using the word all to describe the words spoken in prophecy. Verses 24 and 25. But if an unbeliever or inquirer comes in while everyone is prophesying, and they are convicted of sin, excuse me, they are convicted of sin, and are brought under judgment by all as the secrets of their hearts are laid bare. So watch this next part. I mean... Just notice what it says here. It's so key. So they will fall down and worship God, exclaiming, God is really among you. You see that? He says, look, if you'll focus on each other, then you'll really see the power of God when you come together. If you come and you're focused on you and having this wonderful experience with God and feeling fed up, then, then you might see the power of God move a little. But if you want to see God move in ways that causes people to fall down on their knees, then here's what you need to do. When you come together, you must be focused on building up this church and not yourself. It's pretty crazy, isn't it? It just goes against everything we think. But as I look around our country and I see churches shrinking and, and I see... I see just a, a culture that seems to be turning their back on Christ. I can't help but think it's because Christians have ignored this for years in our, and years in our country. we said, I'm going I'm to make it about me. And pastors have said, we're going to make it about you. And church leaders have said, we'll make it about you. It's all about you. And, and, and people have just bought into that. It's been the spiral so that when we go to church, we say, it's all about me. We don't think about building up the people around us. So what do we see? We see people go from one church to another. Well, that church wasn't doing it for me anymore and I wasn't really building anybody else up either because it's all about me. And so I can go to another church and I'll feel fed there for a little while and I'll go to the next one. But Paul is saying quite clearly when you come to church, do it in the way of love, not a self-seeking way. Paul is quite clearly saying when you come to church, do it to build the church up and not yourself. And I really believe with all of my heart that if we will be a church that does that, then we will see God move in ways that we never even could have asked for because it will be so powerful. We will see God bring people to salvation. We will see our lives radically changed. And so I'm asking you, I've prayed for you, to be a person who follows the truth of God's Word no matter how contrary it is to our society, no matter how different it is than anything else we've ever done, I ask you to be a person who gathers here at Creekside Bible Church and says, what is it that I can do to build this church up? If we will do that, God will do amazing things. Will you pray with me? Lord, I confess for myself, really for Christians all all across our nation, at least, God, that... That we have made church about self. I'm sorry for that, God. I'm sorry for the ways that I have done that and how I how I walk out of church services thinking about whether I liked them or not. Or I just pray that wouldn't be the case for the people that call themselves Creekside Bible Church. I pray instead, Lord, that we would be a people that that walk out of church going, How did I build up the church today? And and we would we would base our, the goodness of a church service, God, on whether we built the church up or not. Not on whether or not we got built up, Lord. Lord, I know that you care about us being built up as individuals too. I know that. But I'm trusting you, God. I'm trusting you based on your word to do that work in each of us as individuals as we work on building your church up as an organization, God. I think that's what your word tells us, Lord, in God, we want to be so faithful to your word at this church. We want to be a church that does things your way, God. We want to be a church that says, if God commands it, then we'll do it. But we also want to be a church, I hope, that wants to understand why you've commanded those things and get to the heart of them, and I think that's what we've done this morning. And so now, God, let us put it into practice. God, let us be a church that, that shows up every week thinking, how can I build this church up? What can I do to make this the church that God wants it to be? What can I do to strengthen my brothers and sisters? What can I do to be a, a, a person who, who, who God moves through when we're together? Lord, let us be that church, God. Let us, let us not just be that church for us. Let us be that church so that we can influence churches everywhere, God. So that, so that churches everywhere will go, wow, maybe we should make it about other people and not ourselves, Lord. God, I pray that we would take seriously your word, no matter how difficult it is, no matter how different it is from what we've always thought, always believed, always acted on. And I pray that especially for the topic of our church gathering, Lord. And I pray these things in your name. Amen. We don't have a closing song today. Um, What we have is a little bit more time for us to do church, and so, uh, so we're going to stop here. and And I, I pray that when you get up out of your seat and you start mingling, you wouldn't say, "Wow, who do I want to talk to? Uh, what's going to make me feel good?" But you would, you would say, what "Can I do right now, right now in this moment, to encourage, to strengthen, and to comfort the people that I call my church family?" And so, uh, I thank you for being here. Have a great day, and remember next week when we show up to come for the good of this church and not for the good of yourself. God bless.